Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and this is the Kingdom Ethics Podcast, a production of Mercer University's Center for Theology and Public Life. Uh, Today, we are doing things a little differently. I'm sitting in my church office today, um, set up with a microphone and a soundboard with a uh, phone call placed to our other host, Dr. David Gushy, who is, of course, with us. Uh, Good morning, David. Good morning, Jeremy. So we're going to see how this... uh, phone call situation works because we like everyone else are separated by space but united by technology so we're we're gonna try to talk about this um coronavirus situation like every other podcast you listen to is doing and uh let you know what's what's going on uh with us and our communities and what we've been thinking about so uh david how's quarantine treating you um, it has had, uh, for me personally, uh, more advantages than disadvantages in an in a odd sense, Jeremy. Um, <clears throat> my throat's a little bit sore from a, a lot of time talking on the phone and doing um, Zoom teaching and phone calls. Mm-hmm. And a lot uh, of pollen. Found, and some pollen, too. Yeah, I found, I found a little raspy this morning. Let me get a swallow of water. Well, it's... It, you know, this whole thing came as a shock to me as it, as it did to everybody else. Life was turned upside down pretty much overnight. I mean, the main news for me and mine is that everybody is healthy. Excellent. And we haven't been directly affected. I, um, so I'm, I'm grateful in that way. Though, with each week of prayer requests at church, it feels that COVID comes closer. Um I mean, I think we all know people who are who are directly affected, and, and that's happening now, you know, for me. But <clears throat> I'm blessed in that my uh, teaching is able to be done long distance uh, by Zoom. The classes uh, have continued to meet, and all has gone well. So, um, uh, and my income hasn't been affected. Uh, so, so at a personal level, I consider myself very blessed and very fortunate. Yeah, that, those ivory towers are still a good hedge. Though, so, you know, um, I mean, one place to start today might be to say um, education is a, is a, as a sector is going to be affected. Um, uh, there was an article we're recording on Wednesday the 15th. There was an article today in the New York Times that is about the impact of all of this on education. Um, <coughs> the... The article had educators projecting a 15% uh, enrollment drop in the fall. Wow. Hundreds hundreds of millions of uh, dollars of losses for some schools and, you know, billions overall. So, And all the way so down. The, all Do, the way down. If right? we don't have um, a vaccine when it's time for a reliable treatment, for when uh, school starts back in the fall... Does elementary school start back? Do high schoolers go back to school? Right, and and so so um, I think that the job losses. Uh, I mean, they're already happening in higher yeah. education um, with the auxiliary staff, and uh, everybody's going to be cutting budgets. Undoubtedly, there'll be no pay increases. There'll be uh, people who are whose jobs are cut on the, um, on every, in every dimension, administrative, staff, faculty. And, um, 
and you know, depending on how bad the the student enrollment losses are, um, it could there could be layoffs, uh, you know, at a larger scale across the board. So this this is like getting punched by Mike Tyson all over the body of a society. You know what I mean? It's like right. There's nobody. There's nobody who's not getting punched or at risk of getting punched in one in one way or another. And so. Uh, and so it's a systemic body blow, um, and we're trying to rally our defenses. And uh, part of what to talk about is how well we are doing at rallying our defenses. Right. So anyway, and Mike Tyson yeah. is invisible in this uh, metaphor. That's right. So that's right. And so you don't know <clears throat> you don't know exactly how to defend yourself against an invisible enemy who's punching you really hard. There's, I, I heard someone talking about the whole situation, sort of like, um, and you don't want to sensationalize, but that's what metaphors do, um, that it's sort of like being in one of those horror films with like a, a Freddy Krueger or a, um, a, a Mike Myers where you can run and you can hide, but there, this, uh, this force is still, and they can walk and catch up to you. You're running as fast as you can, but you round the corner and there he is. That you know that they're going to pop out, but you don't you don't know where, and you know they're getting closer. Like you were saying with uh, taking prayer requests at church, we're seeing that too. It, a week ago, two weeks ago, it was I know someone whose uncle is sick, and it was well, my grandparents' nursing home is shut down; no one can visit, and, and it kept getting closer until um, it was my well, my family is is sick. Uh, me personally, both of my parents are symptomatic with COVID right now. I was so concerned to hear that, Jeremy, and I appreciate you sharing that with our audience. Um, yes, it is It is like a horror movie. And everybody who, I'm not much of a horror movie watcher because they scare me so much, but um, but everybody who's seen a lot of horror movies or whatever, it, it's like it is the invisible enemy that's around every corner. And, you know, you can't live in that state of vigilance and fear all the time without it overloading your nervous system, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so people are coming up with a variety of coping mechanisms. Um, some of which are more constructive than others, but, um, you know, I'm concerned about the mental health consequences for people. Um, those who already struggle with anxiety. Oh, absolutely. I have, you know, those who already struggle with depression, those who already struggle with like loneliness and social isolation who are now confined to their homes. You know, we live in a society in which half of all adults don't have a partner. Right. Did, did you know that? I, so I didn't whole, realize it was that high if you, if you went as broad as just saying partner. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so it's like everybody's domestic uh, arrangements are frozen in place. So if it's abusive, then you're frozen in place with your abuser. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's if you're single and you wish you had a partner, you're frozen in place with your singleness, um, and and so on and so on. And so um, uh, there's a lot of dramas playing out in a lot of people's homes, um, and we don't know what those they all are. We just know that it's happening. So what what is what is professor life? like right now that has to be strange that if we if we take it back to um the introduction to changing our mind you are a professor who does name hugs <laughs> and so we've we've 
come from, we've taken you, a professor who very much cares about students, who has, who maintains office hours, who likes, actually likes teaching, likes their, their collections of students. Um, how is life like for you trying to figure out how to navigate teaching online? Um, it's so funny, Jeremy. I was a late adopter to online teaching. Um, I, I did not want to do online teaching. I was perfectly uh, resistant. I was, you know, I was one of those curmudgeons, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a week at Mercer to figure out how to take our classes online. We had plenty of help offered. But I discovered that the technology that was already there was really good. It was two things. In our system, we have a, um, a student-faculty interface called Canvas. And I learned that Canvas had a number of capabilities that I wasn't using that could enhance education. And so I began to ramp up immediately in terms of what I did on Canvas. For example, doing quizzes online, then they're graded by the system, by the machine. Um, uh, having students turn in reading notes. I was already doing that, but they could turn them in online and I could respond online. Um, having papers turn in online meant when I was typing up responses, students could actually read what I was writing. That was a major breakthrough for the students, you know, <laughs> instead of my, <laughs> instead of my scrawled handwriting at the bottom of their printed papers, they could actually read what I was writing. I'm sure um, that there's a huge wealth of knowledge and wisdom that you wrote on my papers, but all I could ever read was the number at the bottom. Is that an A that or a D? The, I don't know. That is the universal experience. And so now students are actually seeing what I'm intending to do as I mark up their papers, you know? <laughs> um, uh, and then with Zoom, um, you know, it actually works pretty intuitively. You just have to get a little bit of instruction in it. Uh, and so I'm a convert the value of online education. I do miss being face-to-face with my students. Um, but I do think this is sustainable, uh, at least for me. Uh, if I have to teach online for another semester, I think I can offer successful education online. Um, and in fact, I have volunteered to take one of, one of my classes online uh, next year, uh, Ethics Elective, see if it can be marketed even nationally or globally to attract okay. students who who might like to have an experience of studying with me who could never come to Atlanta. This this so, whole situation, I hadn't thought of this yet, uh, but there's that whole movement of democratize the academy. Yeah. All of this online stuff, uh, while it might tear down some of the aspects of the institutions that we've built, could really democratize the academy. You could take your ethics classes in Atlanta with Gushy and your theology classes in New York and your business classes in LA and be sitting in your One home in Wyoming. That. Yes. You would have to have the institutions to cooperate. Um, you know, cause our, our structure is set up, um, around, um, degrees, getting degrees on site from a certain location. Right. Um, but, but, you know, often on Facebook, I'll have people say, hey, can I take a class with you? Or how can I how can I get some time with you? See, you know, take this experience with you. And uh, we're actually going to be trying that. So I'm going to be offering my Roman Catholic ethics class wow. um, in the spring online on a Monday evening. And uh, and 
are just, we're going to market it uh, so that anybody who wants to have that experience, they can do it, I guess, as an audit, or they can do it for, for special students, you know, taking class for credit. Um, I guess we'll have to put a cap on the enrollment, but, um, but I'll be interested to see what kind of interest there is, you know? So, um, to me, uh, especially with the seminary market that is struggling for these schools are gasping for air and some of them are not going to make it. So leadership will be tested right now. Who can make the, who can be nimble enough to make the transition to the online space? And I actually think that, um, Schools will compete nationally with other schools for a smaller cohort of students, and some will make it and some won't. Um, so I've been very pleasantly surprised at the the effectiveness, I think at least, of the online experience. The technology in general has held up. Zoom apparently has gone from 10 million uh, to 200 million uh, customers in a two-week Period. Wow. Yeah, that would have been a good thing to have invested in. Uh huh. Yeah. And there have been problems such as Zoom bombing. People were hacking into the Zoom uh, mm-hmm. uh, events and so on. But Zoom is also responding with better security. So um, I find that I'm better prepared for my classes. I'm spending less time like driving back and forth to make it and more time rereading my notes and the textbooks and more time, a uh, little more care, and more time in in uh, engaging various kinds of student communications and, and papers and so on. Um, so I actually think I'm teaching better right now. That's fascinating. Um, and um, and and my my immediate thought, especially with my undergrads and Macon scattered to the four winds, my immediate thought was pastoral. How do I stay connected to each of them so that they know that I they're each my sheep and I want each one of them to make, make their way successfully across the finish line. So my instinct was to call every single one of them and talk to them personally. And so that's what I did. And I think that helped to, to keep the connection strong. And, and if, if, if somebody misses a class, I reach out to them by text. Um, and so they know that I'm aware of who's with me and there are, and all of them I think will cross the finish line, you know, excellent. Uh, and so, so I actually think this is doable. Um, there's a lot of on-campus experiences that are lost um, that obviously makes on-campus preferable for, I think, for most people. Um, but but the, the delivery of course content with great intentionality and care can continue online, and I actually think my teaching will be permanently better because of kind of going hybrid, making the best use of the technology that we've already invested in. Kicking and screaming. We've been dragged into this. You know, I had a week to make this adjustment. We all had a week. I've heard of, of, of serious curmudgeon professors who just refuse to play. You know, it's like I heard of a professor this week who the way he's relating to his students is by getting big fat manila envelopes and mailing assignments to each student <laughs> in the U S mail. And, and the students are required to mail their work back in the U S mail. That's Keeping insane. The United States, the United States postal service uh, alive for another week. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, but you know, that's how it is. Like everything, everybody's behavior uh, fans out along the spectrum. And that's what, you know, so that's your, your, 
your most curmudgeonly, but but on the whole, I feel like um, Mercer has done well in supporting us in making this transition, and I, I now feel like this is going to be a permanent addition. And let's say I'm away on a trip, but I don't want to have to cancel a class. I could say we're going to go Zoom for this session, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, and so I actually think it's going to, it's really, it's, it's really been eye-opening. Churches have been having to figure it out too. Um, You were saying Mercer gave you a week. We we decided um, before it was required that people not show up places. We made the decision on a Thursday that that Sunday we would be online. (laughs) And the the scramble (laughs) to make that work. People don't realize this is a lot harder. <laughs> the online church life is a lot more difficult for the church leaders, at least for me, um, than it was in when things were normal. And we had to make that switch so quick, and there's so many decisions to be made. It's been really interesting to watch how churches have responded. What have you been up to with your, uh, your ministry stuff doing this? Um. I, when I, I learned on a Thursday, probably March 12th, that we were not going to be able to meet in person on Sunday. Um, I run a Sunday school class that has an enrollment of about 55 or 60, and I've been running it for 13 years, and it's my primary form of Christian community. Um, and I realized, you know, if we don't go online virtual now, we may never do it. And so I decided that that next Sunday, we needed to try to do class by Skype. And I thought Skype was cool. Skype has been outcompeted by Zoom. It's just not as intuitive and it, it, people in and out. And it's just so sorry, I don't want to attack anybody. But anyway, uh, we did it. We did it for three weeks by Skype and then we've moved to Zoom. Um, what it has been like is, the, the downside, this will be true of the, of the academic classroom too, because you have to mute people when they're not speaking because of the background noise. Right. Um, the free-flowing interaction, uh, you know how when you're actually having a conversation with somebody, it isn't as simple as person A speaks while person B is completely silent. Mm-hmm. And then person B speaks while while persons A and C are completely silent. Human communication is more interactive than that. It's both the body language and the and the, the utterances that are happening in and out and in between and over and around what the main person is saying and the laughter. And um, if you tell a joke and everybody's muted, you can't tell if they're laughing, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can't tell if it has landed. Yeah. Um, and so... I think especially in the most interactive church context, like the call and response tradition, mm-hmm. trying, trying to put together a church service where you don't get any response must be very, very weird. The So um, my church has chosen, I think, a more difficult route than I think what's become the normal. We decided not to do our normal service in front of an empty sanctuary and record it. Uh, that didn't feel authentic to us and our community. 
uh, it felt like playing church. And it also, it didn't work, uh, which was kind of refreshing. If, um, if you can do your service exactly the same way and have it function with no participants, it might be time to rethink the way you do worship. Um, <laughs> that, that'll tweet. That'll yeah. tweet, man. That'll tweet right there. <laughs> and uh, so what we did was we developed a stations experience. And so each week, and I'm very proud of it, each week you can log on to what we call our online campus and do this self-guided experience that has our normal aspects, normal elements of worship. There's a, a call to worship at the front and there's a congregational prayer and there's scripture readings and musical elements and a sermon, but there's also readings and reflective points and places where you're supposed to pause and ponder and there's meditation points and there's uh, discussion questions for who you might be sitting with and for yourself. And we've involved, like I'll call a congregant, uh, today I'll be making a phone call and asking someone, would you read this reading for us this week? Please record it, send me the video. And so we are seeing some of our friends and hearing familiar voices but also it's inviting us to sit and to slow down and to ponder deeply and uh, the questions are often content based like oh we in this prayer you just heard this phrase six times how did that feel but also there's questions about the form of church like hey we put the call to worship third in the order today why do you think we did that why, why did we use this hymn here? Why did we ask you to read this scripture? Why do you think there's so much scripture in our service? Uh, how, why is it different here than it is normally? And really being, wow. I'm curious about what aspects of church don't need to come back when we return to normal, mm. as much as what have we so, added that we need to keep. So it sounds like uh, for the worship experience, you're, you're turning it into a, uh, a workshop opportunity or almost like a, um, a tutorial. Yes. Um, an interactive tutorial on what is worship and what, what, what belongs in worship. Yeah. It's, um, what it means at the risk of sounding like, well, at the risk of sounding like me, uh, the, the risk of sounding like an overeducated millennial, it's a very meta <laughs> experience. Um, and then, so that's available, uh, starting at midnight on Sunday and we don't take it down. We just add the next week later. Uh, but then there's a live Facebook event to talk back, and we're working on some Zoom conferences uh, to do that as well. What what we've done in the Sunday school class, uh, I won't speak to the overall church. They're doing um, a lot of stuff, too. You know, it's interesting. Having a youthful, tech-savvy staff has never been more important. You know, right. At least having somebody, you know, who, who can handle that. But so we, what I'm finding is... Um, we're getting more people than we would have on the average Sunday. We're getting more time for prayer requests and more detailed prayer requests. Um, people are using the chat function on Zoom. So some people prefer to verbally articulate their prayers, but others are, are typing them into the chat function on Zoom. And we've learned how to capture that so that we can uh, share those prayer requests as well. Okay. That's, that's something I'm also noticing that that in online space, uh, people can can communicate in the way that they choose. You know how shy people 
often will be silent in group settings. But they but, might type. Um, but they might type, yeah. And so, so maybe they'll type, type in something. Some people who hadn't been coming regularly have been coming more regularly. A few others have dropped off. But um, I'm teaching less. I find it more of a strain because less, I'm less able to be interactive. Mm-hmm. And so, so my, my content is shorter. It's a little more sermonic, a little less interactive and dialogical because of 40 people trying to just get in on a conversation. It's, you know, and now you have to unmute your microphone, now mute it again. It's just, that part is harder. Right. Um, but, but I would say the community experience is certainly keeping us going. And, um, and people are, you sense that people are thirsting for that community and it's helping to keep them uh, sane amid all their isolation. Right. The uh, I'm doing so part of what I do at Townview is I oversee faith development programming for children and youth. And so like the youth group, there's normally more voices than just me, but it's pretty much me running Zoom things now. And it's very strange yeah. to try to figure out uh, and embarrassing in front of Gen Z who thinks all of this is normal to communicate this way. And I'm struggling. I feel like an old person. Um <laughs> But to, to navigate how to make it not just the Jeremy show, because I hate yeah. that. I don't want it to just be the talking head. But then yeah. conversation is difficult and awkward with, like you were saying, you have to, it's like a walkie-talkie. I've never had a meaningful conversation over a walkie-talkie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like on a walkie-talkie, I'm pressing the button. When I'm pressing the button, I speak. And then I lift my finger off the button and somebody else speaks. You can't have two people speaking at the same time. Right. Yeah. And so it, it shows you kind of how communication, real face-to-face communication has a lot going on that you don't think of until you're trying to do it some other way. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, when the other person is done speaking, because you can read their face um, or, or whatever, or, you know, people jump in and, and, and interactive, casual community you just can't do it quite the same way in online space exactly um another thing that i think is interesting is um is that the market for worship experiences and teaching experiences is now also global yeah we've democratized the church right so on any given sunday morning if I want to see what the Pope is doing at the Vatican, I can check that out. If I want to see what's happening uh, in the, uh, what the Archbishop of Canterbury is doing, I could check that out. Or if I want to see what's happening at Townview, I could check that out. Um, and something I, that's cool I, is it, it seems yeah. like at <laughs> first the megachurches were, I'm, I don't like this uh, the way I'm going to say it, but it's the best way I can think. The mega churches were winning right at the start because they mm-hmm. they're already good at this. They've got the production figured out, and they've got the budget, and they've got the staff. Um, but I, I was in a, a conversation last night over Zoom. I, it was my first time visiting. Here's a shout out to some friends. The Holy Smokes gathering. Um, uh-huh. Check out their podcast, Holy Smokes podcast. Um, and we were talking about. Um, church in the digital space and one of them I, I can't remember her name right now but she, brilliant young uh, leader 
said that it's like God has stirred up the Kool-Aid to get all the sugar off the bottom. And suddenly, <laughs> uh, it's not only the megachurch preachers who have a voice and a platform that anyone can go listen to. We're starting to realize that our local churches are filled with brilliant leaders and wonderful preachers and excellent teachers and thoughtful leaders. And we can now hear them. My, my church, which we have on a Sunday between 110 and 120, our reach is in the thousands now. Wow. So it becomes very American in the sense of um, competitive. Mm-hmm. Who's, got the, who's got the best content together with the most pleasing production so that you're not noticing how awkward it is, right? You know, right. The people who know how to, who know how to produce. A show. Your pastor doesn't right. look like an Al Qaeda uh, prisoner doing a <laughs> blink your your coordinates and we'll bomb it. Uh, um, uh, so you have to master basic production values, but then yes, uh, I imagine what's happening. What's going to happen is like with anything on Twitter or in the online space, people who are who are doing interesting work will capture the attention of others through sharing and, uh, and they will develop a bigger platform and it could be anybody. It could be uh, a church in South India that has an especially gifted uh, preacher anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Now the question is the financial sustainability. Right. If this, if if this becomes a long-term deal, um, it's in, I bet there's going to be some studies that those churches that had shifted to online giving and had a lot of people already giving online, I bet are going to do a whole lot better than those who are trying to get people to learn how to do that now. Yeah, our online yeah. giving hasn't changed. Our online giving has gone up. We haven't experienced any loss there, but our what we would take up in a plate is now mailed in, and it's a right. fraction. Right, yeah. So I think there's reason to be concerned about the survival of, uh, you know, lots and lots of local churches, too. Because yeah, the average um, size of a church in the United States is 55 today. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Depending on how long this goes on. Um, of course, I'm also, I've never been more aware of local than now in that, in a, in a very different way. I mean, the media environment is global. You can consume somebody's teaching or preaching or music from anywhere in the world at any time. Right. Right. But when you do put on your mask and leave your space, your home and go to all the, go your, to your local neighborhood, all the local shops that you care about, you're wondering whether the, whether they will survive and mm-hmm. what has happened to all the people who work there. Yeah, you know? Walmart's going to be fine. Right. One assumes Walmart will be fine, but the local coffee shop, the local dry cleaner, local restaurant, local bookstore. Um, some of them, some of those sectors were already in trouble. So I find myself taking a few more risks, like going out and getting takeout from, or ordering in from local restaurants, just to try to keep them alive. During mm-hmm. the time. Extravagant um, tips. Yeah. Yeah. When I can't, I'm trying so, to only place orders that I can do a 100% tip on right now. Really? Mm-hmm, that's so. If you order, if you order a twenty-five dollar, twenty-five dollar dinner, you're tipping twenty-five dollars. I'm doing my best to be able to do that. Wow, that's that's 
that's good. That's a good standard. Um, so, so yeah, so the church situation, um, I don't know. It's all, it all interacts with things that are already there. Like, um, you already had churches that were threatened and in in decline, um, and aggressive, creative, uh, entrepreneurs who are finding ways to grow churches amid an overall environment of decline. That's true in the education side as well. Um, and, and in the business side is in some sectors as well. And so this is going to shake everything up. Um, you know, I write, about, I write a lot about leadership. I think leadership is going to matter a lot right now. Um, and this is leadership in a context of, of ruthless loss. Who is going to be able to lead their institutions um, in, a, in this context so that, they not, so that they survive at least, but maybe even thrive, develop new strategies, attract new uh, people, uh, provide things that people need, and, and, uh, and end up doing well. And, and that, that could apply to businesses, mm-hmm. to churches, to seminaries, to colleges, um, you know, anybody. So these are some things that are on my mind these days. Right. Um, but meanwhile, we all live in this dystopian environment where, uh, you know, you walk down the street or you go in your car if you're feeling brave to pick up food somewhere and it does look like some kind of zombie movie with, or, you know, with everybody in their masks and gloves and protective covering. It's, it's just, it's, well, I think we need to be aware of the shock to the system and how, how quickly everything has happened. Right. It, it was weeks ago. It was weeks ago that things were completely normal. Yeah. And I, ha- uh, so yeah. this is a, here's a classic uh, pastor problem. I preached a sermon a few weeks ago on uh, grieving the current moment about how to experience it and accept what you're feeling and how to process what you're feeling. But I didn't do it myself. Uh, I told my congregation uh, to do self-care and to process and to pray and to grieve. And I I still hadn't. Uh, And I I was feeling particularly brave and we've had a uh, plumbing situation at the house that I'm trying to fix. So I went to Home Depot and I had to stand in a long line to go in and I was surrounded by people wearing masks and the people that work there wearing masks or even like face shields and smocks. And I had my temperature taken and only so many people were... Yeah. And only so many people were allowed in the building at once. And I got home and I was really rude to my family. And... (laughs) I was trying to figure out why I was being so mean to my wife. I was scared and I hadn't processed it yet. What all I was feeling and the loss and that my normalcy bias got thrown away by having my temperature taken by a man in a hazmat suit at Home Depot. (laughs) It's like, what world am I living in? Um, you know, that is, that's my experience with grief. Um, grief surprises you. You know, you, you don't know when it's going to hit you or mm-hmm. what is going to trigger it, you know. Uh, you think it's going to be when you look at the casket or something. Right. Uh, you know, you know. But instead, it's the next time the Braves game was scheduled and you can't 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the Braves aren't on, right? In other words, uh, grief surprises you. I think grief catches you when you least expect it. You put up defenses to, to function, and then, um, oh, now that, that defense was not up at that moment, and then it comes in and finds you. Right. You I, I'm, I'm sure that this is a lot of people's experience right now, but I'm trying to be so strong for my, uh, my church and my family. Um, I've got content that comes out every day and I'm putting on the bravest face that I can while still being honest, uh, in my interactions with the, the people that I'm leading and it's exhausting. Yeah. And it doesn't, I had a thought and I was chasing it and it got away, but it's such a strange well, world to live in, and I, I'm trying so hard to take care of so many people. Yeah, and I, I haven't, I haven't built in enough space to take care of myself. Yeah, and some of the things that we would normally do to take care of ourselves are not available to us. Right. Now. Going out for a nice dinner with the with the wife, right? Mm-hmm. Well, can't do that. They've you know, closed the going parks. On a vacation. I'm not supposed to go fishing. I mean, really? So the other day, I mean, this was about two weeks ago. I was running on the local middle school track and the police officer pulled me off the track and said, we've closed this. You can't run on the track. Mm-hmm. And I, and I was, what? I mean, you by yourself can't be outside in this place. I, I by myself with nobody around at eight o'clock in the morning cannot run on a deserted middle school track. I, I guess I understand why, but that feels pretty draconian, you know. Yeah, the the you know, rules have, yeah. work macro, but not as well micro. Like that that video of the guy traumatically being arrested paddleboarding in the ocean by himself. A man in the ocean alone gets pulled over by a police boat and sent to jail. I had not I had not seen that one. Oh, it's wow. horrible. Um, and it feels so. It feels like a dystopia. And so you take yeah. this guy who's by himself. He is alone in the ocean. <laughs> and you put him on a boat of Coast Guard, then hand him over to a team of police officers, and then put him in a jail cell. This has not made the situation better. And the rule that they're enforcing is you cannot go to the beach because if you go to the beach, you'll hang out with your friends. But this guy's yeah. alone in the ocean on a board. This gives us a chance to talk a little bit about policy stuff. Um, all right, so let's do another one of these um, and uh, do it next week and just kind of roll them out, you know, maybe a week, every week or something so that the people are hearing from us until we run out of things to say. <laughs> until we run out of things to say. <laughs> all right, so you That's know what? I really doubt well, yeah. That that was actually that's a pretty good explanation of what we're actually going to do. So I'll only I'll lightly edit this section to make it sound like we said all that on purpose. Thank you, David. Thank you, Jeremy. It's good to talk with you and and uh, for all of our listeners, uh, we care about you. Uh, be safe um, and ask for you know like what is God teaching us through this moment, and maybe we'll, we'll think a little bit more about that next week. Yeah, talk back to us, and we'll try to respond. And uh, since we're all stuck at home listening to podcasts, we'll make sure to have 
uh, content coming out as much as we can. This has been the Kingdom Ethics Podcast, a production of Mercer University Center for Theology and Public Life. In this uh, strange season, when so many of us are locked inside listening to podcasts, uh, help us get out there. Uh, Share this program with those around you. If we've given you something of value, uh, pass it on. That's, That's all we ask for here. Uh, Make sure to give us a like, a good rating, leave us a comment. Uh, You can talk back to either of us on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, Both of us have public ways to to access us, and we want to hear from you. You can check out um, what my church is doing. We talked about our weekly experience at Townview. That's town with an E, -E T-O-W-N-E-V-I-E-W. Org, and you can follow links to all of our daily and weekly content if you're interested in what we're doing. Uh, David is very active on his sites and his programming, so keep an eye on davidpgushy.com and his Facebook and Twitter. And he's he's writing. <laughs> he's working, he's writing, there's books coming out, and uh, we want to make sure that uh, we're available for y'all if you need us. I- I've been contacted recently by a few folks, and we've had conversations. We, I had a Zoom conference with a pastor this past week. I did a, a, a Zoom podcast yesterday with a bunch of church leaders. We are here for you guys, so let us know how we can do that. We really do care about you, and we're thankful that you're on this journey with us. Grace and peace, dear friends. <laughs>